welcome to the Biblically Centered Podcast. Hello. Uh, happy to be here. My name is Johnny Jordan. This is Danica Jordan. She already said hello. <laughs> um, but I'm going to let her hit us with the mission statement. Would love to. Biblically Centered equips your family with knowledge and conversations for you to live and defend your Christian faith. Thank you so much. Um, thank you for those of you who listened to the, our first episode. Yep. Which would be the one right before this one, because yes. this is episode number two. Yay. Um, so, uh, yeah, we're here. Um, we're excited to be doing this. Today, we're going to jump into our very first virtue. So, okay. all right, this is our first virtue, and it says, We adore and revere the one true and living God and pursue holiness with our entire being. Yes. So that is virtue A. Yes. Um, and so one thing you'll learn about us along the way is that we do like definitions. Um, it's important for us to define words because there can be some words out there that maybe over time can be misused or stolen for other meanings. Yep. And so it's important for us to get back to the original definitions. So, yes. Um, I'll let you read the definitions. Okay, Go I would love to. Perfect. Yeah. So we have two for today. Our first one is for our A virtue, adoration. Um, adoration is the worship paid to God, external homage or respect shown publicly, accompanied with the highest reverence. So it, you'll notice we have adoration and reverence. And then um, holiness. Holiness is the state of being holy purity or integrity of moral character and when applied to human beings holiness is purity of heart or disposition um, it is also sanctified affections and moral goodness uh, but it's not perfection and so we are to be separated to the service of god um, and so i always view that as like um, samuel being presented um, back to the temple after his mother hannah prayed for him and then she gives him up to the service of God. Right. Bless you. Oh, was that a... There it is. <laughs> Sorry, that was a sneaky one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it is an important distinction there. Um, obviously, understanding that perfection isn't our goal. Um, and I know that, you know, there can be some, I guess, cloudy thought process when it comes to what being holy is. But just understanding the basic understanding that we are made holy through Christ um, which means that now that we are in Christ, we are now set apart. Right. Um, and so and now we are set apart, and now we have a higher calling. Um, mm -hmm. And so and that higher calling is to do a good work for Christ. So, um, And so, yes, like you said, it's not something that we, we will never attain being perfect, but with Christ working through us, we are then strengthened to be able to discern right from wrong and to make the choices that best align to God's word. So right. obviously we are still fallen creatures with sinful nature. Um, but the hope is that we're, we're continuing to be refined each day. Yes, exactly. Yep. yep. And, and uh, no, oh. yeah. you go ahead, you go ahead. <laughs> So and holiness what? is one of the essential attributes of God, um, if not the essential attribute. And so God is love. And I think we hear that a lot, but he is love because he is holy. Right. 
Um, so you could put that with any other attribute of God. Like God is just, but he is just because he is holy. Mm-hmm. God is merciful, but he is merciful because he is holy. So holiness is kind of that umbrella term that I think maybe we don't talk about a lot or we kind of struggle with that concept, but it is such a defining thing for our God to be holy because then that um, flows into every other aspect of Christianity and of our relationship with him. Right. Yeah. Yeah. God, God being love lives within the umbrella of the fact that he is holy. So everything that comes along with that lives within the realm of the holiness, holiness yeah. of God. So, um, yeah, which I think some people can struggle with that because that also means like God is just, you know, so it, it does kind of get into those areas that I think make people really uncomfortable, but holiness is such a beautiful attribute that I think we just don't really focus on a lot. Right. Yeah. Um, and so Exodus fifteen eleven said, who is like you, O Lord, among the gods, who is like you, majestic in holiness awesome and glorious deeds doing wonders. Um, and so obviously, um, Exodus, uh, Moses and just, you know, who, who are you and what is like you? Because they were surrounded obviously by pagan nations and just the contrast of God's holiness to the rest of civilization was very stark. And I think even today we maybe don't see that or we kind of we don't see that that is such a difference than what the rest of the world lives like we've kind of muddied those waters mm-hmm. yeah so yeah this holiness isn't implied as a law or a standard outside of god himself but that all moral law and perfection have their basis in his very nature so um yeah so he's the root and ground for all of them first samuel um, two two says that there is none holy like the Lord, for there is none beside you, and there is no rock like our God. Yeah, I mean, if you just search holy in the Bible, it's just it's always the majority in reference to God because He is holiness, and so even like Psalms ninety nine. Nine, exalt the Lord our God and worship at His holy mountain, for the Lord our God is holy. Isaiah 6, 3, and one, and one called to an, another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. So that's the seraphim um, in Isaiah's vision, just giving holiness to the Lord. And also um, holiness or holy being repeated three times, which I know it does that obviously in Isaiah. And then I know it does it again in Revelation. But um in those ancient languages, when you repeat a word three times, it means like that to the utmost. So kind of like we would say like two squared or something, you know, it's like two taken the most it can be taken, but it's like holiness the most. Right. And so like that is only ever attributed to God as he is the most holy. Right. Yeah. Um, and I know like kind of like how we were talking earlier about us being made holy. I remember when I was in college, I think it was in my old Testament class. Um, and I think I'm going to tell this accurately, but our professor was giving an example of, uh, he was watching some sort of, some sort of like show. Um, it was like a science show basically. And so the, the guy on the, on the show had this like hot molten 
lava. I mean, lava, I guess to, you know, it was, it was like melted metal. Basically that okay. was, that was running through a stream. Um, and, but the scientist put, he like put this solution on his finger that took away all the impurities off of his finger. So all the oil, all the whatever he took that off. And then whenever he stuck his finger through the, through the molten metal, it just hit his finger and rolled off and it didn't burn him. Um, because he didn't have anything on his skin that it could latch to, to burn. And so, you know, our professor kind of made the comparison. He was like, that was like a revelation of like, whenever we experience the holy fire of God, like it is so pure and so holy that the things that are on us that are impure, that's what the fire comes in and burns, burns away. Mm -hmm. Um, and so, um, so I just thought that was kind of a, a good example is like, God is so holy that whenever we are truly pursuing and stepping into his presence, like that, the conviction and the things that we feel is the holiness and the fire of God bringing those things to light so that they can be burnt away. Yeah. Wow. That's cool. Yeah. That was my contribution. So, <laughs> Well, and that just shows, um, I mean, right. God's not just up there trying to convict us all the time. Like that's not what he, that's not his desire for us. His desire is that we would glorify him. And so I think what you just said about that, like this virtue being the first is that we're pursuing holiness with our entire, we could have just stopped there and that could have covered the rest of all of the virtues mm-hmm. that, that we created because they're all tied to this. Like pursuing holiness means that we are wanting to refine ourselves. We are wanting to make sure that we are, you know, that mirror image of Christ mm-hmm. um, so that when we are able to come into his presence, you're right. There's nothing left to be burnt away. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the Bible does talk about that a lot about like the, chaff and the wheat or the gold and silver away from the other um straw and hay or you know like that metaphor of refining fire is all throughout the bible old and new testament and so it's just telling us like these things in our life that we think are important but really aren't we need to let them go or change them so that we can accurately reflect christ And I think that's where maybe in today's culture, a lot of those issues and problems arise is we haven't allowed ourselves to go through that refining process enough or humbled ourselves to go through that so that we can accurately depict Christ to those around us. Mm -hmm. And so we're not able to hold up that perfect mirror. Our mirror might be a bit skewed or broken or things, which again, God can use that, but we have to be willing to be changed so that we can mirror him more accurately. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's an important distinction, you know, because, um, like the pursuit of sound theology is important. Um, but on, but there, I do think there is an aspect, um, especially of, you know, people I've experienced and, and I'm, you know, of where it almost seems like, that pursuit of theology becomes an idol um, and you're kind of putting your theology on a pedestal above, even above other Christians so that now you can look down on Christians who believe something a little bit differently than you. But the most important thing is that you're the pursuit of theology so that we um, have a better understanding of, of God and through that better understanding of God, the idea is hopefully that, 
um, in the time that we're spending with the Lord and in the time we're spending in the word and the time we're spending in, in prayer is that God is refining us yeah. to be a better reflection of him in this life. Um, and so, yes, good theology is important, but the most important thing is that we're being refined to look like Christ in the way that we live our lives in the world. Yeah. And so that, so again, this is going to flow down into all of our other virtues because we do have virtues about admitting mistakes and accepting correction. And that's a part of pursuing holiness because obviously we are not holy. So there are things about us that will have to change. And so us as parents, we get to model this to our children, which I think is really hard. I mean, it's hard to be vulnerable with another person, let alone your children, because, you know, there's always that balance of like, who's in control, (laughs) control, and you don't want to lose that. But there's also a beauty in that vulnerability of saying, God is continually working on me. Mm -hmm. You know, like there's never going to be, I'm never going to just wake up and be like, I got it. Yeah. It's like, no, like I am constantly needing God's help and his strength and his forgiveness. And so we are teaching our children that as we're doing this. And so that's also another reason why we created these virtues. I know we went into this uh, or we went into why in our first episode, but another is these are family virtues, biblical family virtues. So anyone in the body of Christ, these are applicable And so we are letting our children and ourselves and our friends know, like, this is what we are following because this shows Christ. And so if our children see something in us that does not line up with those virtues, like we've given them permission to kind of call us out on those things. And so that does get a little bit of like, oh, like that. But it also gives them the knowledge that, again, It's a continual process. It's not just a one and done. I got it. I'm in. We want to continually be cultivating these and layering on them. Yeah. Um, Yeah. For sure. And I mean, you bring up a good point. Like the the 26 virtues that, you know, it's almost like a rallying cry for our family, for your family um, who has these virtues of um, kind of like the common denominator of what we believe in our home. Um, And so, yeah, just like Danica said, like we, you know, our kids have the authority and the, you know, as they continually learn these, um, virtues is that if they see something in us that isn't lining up with what we believe as a family, that they can call us on that. Um, but then for them, you know, whenever there is the times of discipline or correction or just things that we need to be brought to their attention, we can come to the virtues and like, this is what we believe and why we believe this. And this is what we as a family believe. And it's important. I think it's important for, you know, mom, dad, or whoever's listening to this and your kids to kind of have that core, thing in your home that you can all rally around as a family yeah you're making it more visual and more practical about like okay this is our picture of christ that we are pursuing and so we are all seeing it and we are all participating Mm -hmm. and it um it really does bring that unity in your family um yeah and i think it's just and the baseline the truth of the matter is is that you know, like for me, I know I've, I've talked about it before. Um, I was raised in a public school and it was a, in a small community in, you know, a Southern part of Texas, uh, where, you know, it was a public school, but the majority of the teachers and, and everything were Christians. And like, you know, we would pray before the high school football games. And so 
for me, I had this kind of skewed view. Not obviously, not all the kids who I went to school with were Christians. You know, that's just. But there was still kind of this core understanding of kind of the culture of the school was there was Christ in it, and I always felt that um, in some degree growing up. But I understand that's not every public school. But I kind of you know, not you know, starting to have kids. That was kind of my experience with school. Um, and so, but realizing that that's not the case these days and, or even back then in most, in most schools. And, and I just, I guess to say, I don't want you as a parent to have the thought that you can bring your kids to church on Sundays and Wednesdays, or, uh, you know, even if they go to a private Christian school or whatever, that they're, that they're getting what they need, um, foundationally, spiritually from church or from teachers or whatever, but that the responsibility for us as parents is that we are the ones who are responsible for discipling our kids. Right. Um, that is one of the things that God has put on us as parents, as the kids are in our home is that we are discipling them in our home. Um, it's not, uh, church is great. Like it's important to be committed and planted in your church, but the responsibility of your kids discipleship is on you, mom yeah. and dad. Um, and so you really need to feel the weight of that and understand that. Um, and yeah, so that, yeah, we can move on from that, but that's kind of just one of the foundational principles of biblically centered is, yeah. is parents taking the responsibility to disciple their kids and not pawn it off on the youth pastor or the Bible teacher at their Christian school. Yeah. And there are plenty of sur surveys. Barna does a great job researching and doing surveys, but they still find that parents are the most influential um, people in a child's life, even if that means you don't think they're actually listening to you or they're teenagers. And so they won't even talk to you. It's they're still influenced by you because you're the one that they're going to see actions and follow through the most. Mm -hmm. So they're seeing your words backed up by your actions. And so this and our virtues, I, I mean, honestly, it, it's for our children. It's for us too, because I want to all, I want to be consistent. Yeah. So I want to be consistent pursuing holiness and I want to be pers uh, consistent, like revering God and showing our children that you no know, God is the head of this house. Mm -hmm. And so this is just a really helpful way to do that. And it makes it a little bit easier to like, okay, I'm going to, okay, this week we're focusing on this one. Okay. I'm going to, you know, it just kind of helps break it down a little bit more instead of just like, we follow God and, <laughs> but how and why, and you know, like it, it, it does give um, a little more uh, practicality and stability. Right. Yeah. I'll, yeah. Here, I'm going to read this um, paraphrase that you wrote down by Tim, Tim Chester. It says, holiness is a harvest. It isn't a matter of personality, upbringing, or gifting. The difference is one has been planted into the soil of one's heart and soul. And I think we kind of just talked about that. <laughs> we maybe got a little stern, but that's okay. Mm -hmm. We're grownups. We, we need a stern talking to every now and again. And so, yeah, it just says holiness is going to be a harvest in our hearts. And so I think you could say that about biblical virtue will be a harvest. Mm -hmm. And so... Yeah, me, maybe your children are young and you're like, oh my goodness, this is going to be forever. Like, why are we talking about this? My kid doesn't even get that. But 
they're going to remember that. And they're going to remember these small virtues said over and over and over that will instantly be their recall mm-hmm. on sharing the gospel. They'll be able to quote that one on admitting mistakes on um, kindness, on joy. You know, they, they will just have those already in their brain pulled up to go for the rest of their life. And so again, it says um, the difference is what has been planted and I don't think you can plant something in one hour once a week. Right. It's a daily, continual, consistent planting, watering, making sure you're plucking out those weeds. I mean, it's 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 a process, mm-hmm. but it's one that will be worthwhile. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And being a homeowner and having my own um, lawn now to deal with, <laughs> you know, there's there's a lot of things in nature that are that are parallels to how things work spiritually and. Um, you can't just pray for rain, um, at least where we live, and and hope that the water that comes from the rain is going to be enough to maintain a healthy yard. Um, it takes you going out there. It takes you turning on the water, watering your own yard. It takes you cutting out the weeds. It takes you planting seed. It takes you tilling the soil, all, all that stuff that I'm still trying to learn. Um that's what it takes to maintain a healthy Mm -hmm. yard. And just like in a life, like it takes those practices in your life and in the life of your kids to maintain a healthy flourishing garden of, um, you know, spiritual fruit in, in all of our lives. Mm -hmm. Um, so, you know, I know for some of us that can be a little bit daunting because it's work toiling, toiling in the ground, in the, in your garden or in your yard is work to make, to make it healthy. But the fruit is, um, is what you're working towards. And so, yeah, with your kids, it's work. You can't just take them to church on Wednesdays and think that you're checking the box off on their spiritual development. It's work. Yeah. But it's rewarding. Mm-hmm. And I, I think God gives us those small glimpses along the way. Uh, because yeah, we, our kids are seven and under. And so, Yeah. It gets a little challenging in who's in control and who's doing this, but there all there are those small glimmers that you see or something will click and you're like, oh, okay, mm-hmm. we're getting it. You know, like it, it's hard because I think parenting is like the finish line seems so far away, but I think God gives us those little check-in moments yeah. to like kind of be able to monitor, like, are we going the right speed? Are we going the right direction? Mm-hmm. And so I just, I mean, we'll be pray. I ask, I mean, just pray like, and ask God to give you those small glimmers of like, we are doing the right thing. There is hope. Um, but again, it does, it does take work, but it's the best work and God's equipped you with your children. Um, and he's equipped us with our children. Like he gave us our children because mm-hmm. he knows that we can do what needs to be done. God's given you your children because he knows that you can do what you need to do yeah. um, to bring them to Christ. So don't doubt for a time such as this. Yeah. Um, don't buy into the narrative of, well, I don't want to bring kids into this, you know, crazy world or this fallen world. I don't want to, you know, that's not, that's not, it's <laughs> not a good mentality as a parent. Like God has given you the ability to raise children for yeah. a time such as this. Yeah. So, um, be confident in who you are as a parent, um, and, and for what God has called you to and, yeah. and know that, um, you know, he, God has given you the ability to do every good work, um, 
but just stay rooted and grounded in, in the scripture throughout this process and have yourself a good community of other believers to help because that's very helpful. So, yes. All right. We can wrap this one up. Okay. I think, um, again, go to biblicallycenter.com. We have some freebies on there for you. We talked yes. about them in the previous episode. There's uh, a guide on there for watching movies with your kids and how to, you know, cultivate critical thinking through that process. Um, there is, um, a 30 day thankfulness challenge you can do with your family, mm-hmm. which is, it's super, super easy. It literally is just whenever you're sitting down with your family once a day is just to start a conversation. It just gives you a question to ask mm-hmm. and to help center your thoughts around thankfulness. So, um, there's that one on the I miss one. Um, how to read the Bible. Oh, how to read the Bible with your with children. Your ki- yeah. With your children. And it kind of gives you, you know, those early ages, zero to six, seven to 11, and then 12 and above, um, kind of some different ways and different questions mm-hmm. to ask, to make sure that you and them are getting the most, um, out of your time in yep. God's word. And those are all for free. So just feel free to go there, check those out. Um, but yeah, that's all we got for you today. So we appreciate your time and we will see you next time. Bye.